Welcome to Very Honored Frater BT's Esoteric Podcast, episode 122, Non-Dual, in which I interview, or more like have a conversation with, my old friend, Augustine Ray. This is his second time on the uh, the old podcast here, and certainly will not be the last. But first, Sasuke, Sasuke, Suzuki, Suzuki, Sasuke. Yeah, this is a new segment um, in which we will hear the words of Shunryu. Suzuki, specifically from his work entitled Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, as recited by Peter Coyote. When you sit in the full lotus position, your left foot is on your right thigh, and your right foot is on your left thigh. When we cross our legs like this, even though we have a right leg and a left leg, they have become one. The position expresses the oneness of duality. Not two, and not one. Hey, that fits right in with the title and theme of the episode, doesn't it? Cool. What a coincidence, that. Um, We'll see if this becomes a recurring segment or if this is just a one-time thing. I don't know. What I do know is I'm looking forward to to talking to Augustine about subjects like dualism, non-dualism, James Bond, you know, stuff like that. So, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? Welcome back. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it wasn't you. Um, oh, okay. Having a little difficulties here. I forgot I have to tell it. Yeah, I'm okay with it being recorded before. It oh, right on. Nice, <laughs> nice. How have you been? I've been great, man. I've been great. Life is beautiful. How about yourself? Same. Pretty great. Yeah. You got night over here and day over there. It's always yeah. trippy. Right, right. And and it goes well with what you were talking about in Messenger, right. you know. Yeah, yeah, I love it. yeah. <laughs> nice, nice, sweet. Yeah. So you're on the East Coast now. Um, just a state over from where I was before. I'm in Michigan. Okay. Uh, I was Ooh. in Indiana. We moved December of last year. Okay, yeah. sweet. Yeah, nice. I have some ancestors from Michigan, uh, Mount oh, Pleasant. Okay. Oh yeah, I know where you're talking. Yeah, they uh, they when they moved to Los Angeles. My great-great-grandfather uh, built kind of the first two houses in Highland Park in that immediate oh, wow. area. And so he, yeah. got to name, he got to choose the number uh, of wow. his address, and he got to choose the name of the street. He named it Mount Pleasant. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moved from Mount Very Pleasant cool. to Mount Pleasant. <laughs> got some corporate sponsorship happening here. Nice. Thank you, Red Bull, for sponsoring this episode. You can make the checkout to Edward Reed. <laughs> Send it on over to Delhi. <laughs> there it is. Um, 
are we already we're recording right now right oh yeah yeah okay gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah i, I, I want to make sure i was uh i was sorry that you uh, weren't on episode 120 but i was happy to have 10 guests yeah so there's like the give and take there. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i haven't listened to all of it yet i was actually just starting it today oh cool um, Nice. But yeah, yeah, I can't wait to to give it a listen. Yeah, yeah, it's like dropping a whole season of a show at once. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, very cool, dude. I got to tell you, I, I first off, I love the introduction to the show. But but oh, on cool. top of that, man, I just love where you go. It's it's one of those things that I've always enjoyed about conversations with you. You know, mm. we can start in one place and end up in a place that no one. Like with astronomical probabilities could have expected, you know, and I love Yeah, that. yeah. So true. I was yeah. originally I was originally thinking I was going to read a little bit of this um the the heart of awareness, a translation mm -hmm. of the Ashta Vakra Gita. I'm okay. always trying to remember the word Gita. I just have to remember it's the last part of Bhagavad Gita. Because in, right. in Buddhism there's sutras. But in uh, right. in generally Hinduism, there's Gitas. So now I've got to store that in my brain. I also just today received. Uh, can you see that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Buddha Gosa, nice uh, commentaries. Yeah. I I ordered. I uh, you can see over here all the maroon books are these the Polytech Society. Yeah. Nice. And I, I had asked them for all of the poly scriptures and translations, and they sent me all of this stuff. And I was like, great. And then slowly I started to realize, now where's the designation of human types? And they were like, oh, that was, we didn't have that. Uh, we'll send it to you, you know? And I was like, yeah, please do. And then I'm like, hey, you, you sent me two books. You sent me the first and third of a three book set. And they're like, oh yeah, we couldn't find the second one. We'll send that to you. And I'm like, do I need to go through with a fine tooth comb? And then I was bragging <laughs> to my friend Ryan at Praxis Behind the Obscure. You didn't see right, anything yeah. that they did. Um, and telling him I, I got all the Buddha Gosa translations. And then, uh, so he says, uh, oh, so you got the, uh, the Visud Himaga. And I was like, I got immediately went to my shelf and went through every book. And I'm like, no, I don't. And so I wrote to the Polytech Society and then they, <laughs> they sent it to me. So that's nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, so how far have I, I know you said that you're, you're making your way through them. How far have you uh, gotten? As oh, boy. Reading Just second book of the six books of the rules. So it's yeah. like really dry stuff at times. <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's funny. Sometimes it's weird. But I mean, it's it's interesting. You know, I mean, yeah. some of the time, sometimes it's really dull. Um, but, uh, you know, I always tell people tune in toward the end of 2023 and it'll be good because we'll finally be done with the rules you know but the the beginning of the rules were good that was there was a story where buddha like owns a brahmin you right. know, and then uh and and then then there was the whole this long story that leads up to a monk making the decision to have sex with his former wife 
so that she can have a kid, so that the, the grandparents, so that his parents can have an heir to pass on all their riches to because he's their only son. And he's like, okay, all right, I'll have sex with my former wife. <laughs> and then of course, everything goes terribly wrong. And so they make the first rule, the number one rule, <laughs> no sex. And then someone's <laughs> like, well, he he said no sex with a human, right? And then it's like all the people coming up with the trying to find loopholes and exceptions, and it's like, but she was dead, you know. And then it, and it's really interesting. Like they, there's less of a uh, it, he brings up homosexual acts, but it's mm -hmm. less of a it's less of a crime. So like if you if you're touching in a seductive way a woman it's like a serious crime if you're doing that with a man eh, whatever you boys will be boys but i mean you can't you can't have sex with a man and it's very uh, in the uh the 1938 translation the translator is very like well yes you know she and it, it's like what do you what do you you know uh, you shouldn't put your male member in any of the three places on a woman and any of the two places on a man and i'm like what are you talking about? Oh, and then at the at the end of the book, there's like a, a an appendix where a more recent translator is like, okay, uh, here's what she left out, and I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> so that's like that that one's really fun. It's like an hour of like all the different types of semen, and uh, you know where it says, uh, do not put your penis into the mouth or the anus of a man. <laughs> or the anus, vagina, or mouth of a woman, even if she's right. dead. And then if she's, if she's dead and, and not decomposed yet, that's still number one rule, you're out, you're no longer a monk. If she's dead and she's like mostly decomposed, it's like mm -hmm. a high felony, but you can still be a monk. But, you know, like <laughs> we, you know, Buddha's like, we need to talk, you know, like we, <laughs> we have some issues, but it's like not quite the same level of crime as like a fresh corpse. So it's like it is interesting right. at times, but it's recently been very boring where it's, you know, boring, but interesting. And in, 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 I right. mean, for people who like <clears throat> I, I liken it to if you're enough of a Tolkien nerd to like read Silmarillion or to listen oh, yeah. to a podcast of Silmarillion with honking and, and 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 power saw sounds in the background like it's you have to be pretty hardcore to for the, right. for the Buddhist books podcast at the present time but later it'll be more interesting and later I'll be in Mysore um so we're, we're planning to shift in a few months and it'll be less noisy and uh very cool so that'll be fun yeah you know it's it's similar to when, when I hear that, it makes me think of, you know, like being a fly on the wall, listening to either canonical law or, or say, rabbinic law in that same regard where we have to explain everything. Otherwise, you're going to do this other thing that yeah. nobody thought about, <laughs> you know, and it's just like. It, it's amazing how creative you have to get, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it's interesting because people comment in retroactively. They say, you know, if it weren't for all of these rules that they had in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, then the, those people, that, that tradition would not still be with us. 
And, uh, but at the very beginning of the Vinaya Pitaka, Ananda asks Buddha, he says, what makes the difference between an order that lasts a long time and an order that doesn't? And Lord Buddha says, um, well, when there's a lot of rules that are very clearly delineated and the monks are required to recite them and memorize them, that's when the order asks, lasts a long time. And then Ananda says, well, give us the rules. And Lord Buddha says, I'll give them to you one at a time as things come up. And so it kind of sets the scene for the next six books, you know, of like issues that come up. And, uh, right. But it's, it's interesting you know, he had the foresight to, to see, well, if we want our, if we want this, these teachings to last a long time, then we have to have rules. Like, okay. Right. Well, one of the interesting things about that, and mind you, there's not a linguist I know that I would compare to any of the Buddhas, but, you know, all the linguists state that uh, a language is dead as soon as no new rules are made or like once once rules are in place and there's no changing, that's mm. when it's all automatically dead, you mm. know, and it's like I, 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 I dig that and obviously it works for language and it doesn't work for a spiritual practice with a lineage that's thousands of years old, but, right. you know, yeah. I, I I get it from both sides, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting point. Hmm. I mean, English yeah, is like that, but I mean, English is weird. I mean, originally, I mean, in the early centuries, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, uh, English was being mashed together with different dialects of uh, old Germanic and then some Latin infusion when the French took right, over. Yeah. And so, so English, by virtue of kind of being a pincushion for other invading forces, was becoming a, a, a jumbled mess of other languages. And then later, when they became the 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 uh well the colonial superpower that they were for a few hundred years there then uh then yeah. they started they started sucking words out of other languages like yeah. banana and jungle and you know juggernaut and pundit and all these like these words that come from hindi and african languages and everywhere that they uh had red coats and they just start to like that's a good word i like that word i, I like banana so much better than plantain <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna call that a banana <laughs> i'm gonna yeah. tell all my friends we should call it banana <laughs> right right you know um when they were doing that comparison when i was when i long long what seems like another lifetime ago when i was studying semiotics and linguistics you know, the first one that they compare or they use as the, the basis of comparison is Latin, you know, mm. and when you have 15 declensions of a verb, mm. you know, that that language isn't going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, oh. yeah, fun yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, it like it like requires you to be super educated just to speak the language properly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I am not, and I I never claim to understand Latin beyond, you know the the you know the root stuff that that we all kind of know from yeah uh, vulgar Catholic stuff and things like right. that right or or French or Italian or anything like that. fair yeah right words you see in all of those although it may be I mean like with English I, it's interesting because here. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things about here that I could go on about, but I won't. I mean, you know, I, a little bit, but like, for one thing, there's a lot of a lot of remnants of like 19th century English that are in daily usage. Um, I mean, what people don't realize, like, I think that people in US and UK and places like that assume that 
they're they're radiating English out and other people are just kind of catching the scraps. But what they don't realize is there are a lot of people, possibly more people in India speaking English to each other than there are in the in, in US and UK combined and maybe even Australia and a few other places. And so there's wow. an act there's an active English language here that doesn't really communicate much with the outside and there's movies being made in English here for the people who speak English here and that are not that that aren't foreigners people assume oh well the, yeah there's a lot of foreigners no I'm talking about Indian people like the British came right. over 300 years ago and said speak English and a bunch of people did <laughs> and then right. now that's the lingua franca ironically um because <laughs> people in people in the south don't speak Hindi but they speak English and so if you want to do business wow. in India and 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 work between, you know, Rajasthan and Tamil and Kerala and Sikkim and all these other places, then you better know English because Hindi is right. not going to help you. And, you know, uh, and so, probably yeah, no it's, Urdu down there either, right? Right. Yeah, well, yeah, there is yeah. Urdu. Uh, well, okay. in, in Kerala and but it depends on the state. Yeah, there's uh, gotcha. but there's a lot and a lot of Urdu has worked its way into Hindi vernacular. I maybe in a similar way that Spanish words work their way into English. But I mean, they, I, I was talking to someone about that and they were saying that's more of like people being cool, like hasta la vista, where Urdu words like seriously work their way into Hindu to the point into the Hindi to the point where you don't know they're not Hindi. And sometimes right. Hindi speakers don't realize they're not Hindi. And, uh, you know, someone will say that's an Arabic word. It's like, it is? It's mm. a Hindi word. And then as well, there's Urdu, which is basically Indian Arabic, and then right. ends up in the common vernacular. Like Nazar, uh, Nazar, well, Nazar is uh, the evil eye. And uh, okay. you'd think it was a Hindi word because it's, it's a word that's yeah. used by Hindu, Indian Hindus as part of their Hindu culture, but it's very much a concept and a uh, word that comes from Urdu. And, okay. Talking too much. <laughs> the host, no, everybody no, no. loves when the host dominates the, the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fascinated. So, I mean, keep going. <laughs> yeah, well, I forget how I, oh yeah, no, that wasn't even my point. Um, people okay. ask me, people ask me, you know, what's the correct way to say this? And I have to stop and think. And I, I, I mean, I know the answer, you know, a, a lot of the time, but I, I, have, I have to stop and think why that's the answer. So I was thinking maybe in ancient Rome, people would know the 15 declensions, like the back of right, their hand. Yeah. Right. Just, they uh, absorb them and uh, they, they know it doesn't sound right if you, you know, like in that Life of Brian scene, <laughs> Right. <laughs> Romans go home. Go home, Romans. <laughs> Romans go to the house. <laughs> I forget what he. How many Romans is it? <laughs> Nominative? Applicative? Accusative? <laughs> and it, you know, it's funny. You know, like anybody who speaks both German and English knows when to use to whom versus who you know because of the data mm. case similar mm. idea right there like you're just saying with rome it's not a conscious thing that happens it's just i know them instead of there based on right. the word order and the association you know yeah or who's 
H W H O S E versus W H O apostrophe S. I just finally got my its and my its worked out like last year when I, uh, I when I was started publishing and I realized I was getting it wrong. That if it's possessive for people who are confused, if if you're saying that uh, well the the car has a steering wheel, that's it, it's that 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 steering wheel is its steering wheel then you'd have no apostrophe, which is counterintuitive because the apostrophe means possessive. However, when it comes to it, it's is uh, is it is. So right, that's yeah. already used. It apostrophe s is it is. And so when you're doing possessive, you do no no apostrophe. Now you know, and knowing <laughs> is half the battle. So let's, the other let's... half is 25% red lasers and 25% blue. <laughs> just to bring this around i mean i love talking but also i have to keep in mind there's people listening to us so i have oh, yeah. two questions to start absolutely two questions is it possible to have a dualistic mindset about the difference between dualistic mindsets and non-dualistic mindsets Ooh, that's a great question um <laughs> Okay, let me let me try and rephrase like, it to make sure I understand. I'm, I'm non-dual and you're dualistic. Get out of here with that <laughs> dualism, asshole. You know, like if you wanna if you wanna be in my club, you gotta be non-dual. Get the fuck out. You're the other. <laughs> right. So and in that case, you know, uh absolutely. Yeah. You know, and, and there's two states in my mind to that too. There's the recognition that your non-duality is actually dual, you know, uh, whereby, you know, there's, oh, what's his name? There's, um, there is a German author who speaks about the other, as far as religious context goes, you know, and I, and I forget, forget his name off the top of my head. I will definitely message you if, um, just, just yeah. for posterity, but, um, he talks about this notion that, you know, like we're all trying, you know, we're striving towards this non-dual state, but you have to remember that the non-dual state itself is something that's alien. It's something that is foreign to the dual mind, right? So, yeah. so you've got that one. Um, and that to me is the all encompassing. That's the, I'm non-dual. But I aware I'm aware that there is duality in non-duality. Mm. Otherwise, it can't be non-dual. Mm. Then there's the opposite side, a student like myself who is attempting, you know, this path towards non-duality and has to constantly remind myself that mm. those other motherfuckers who aren't interested in non-duality aren't part of my gang. You know? And it's like, wait a second, they're part of your gang. <laughs> right, right. You know. So yeah, I'm I'm, cer I'm certain it's possible, and and in fact, more often than not, is the case. Yeah, you know? but I wonder if there's a spiritual equivalent to, um, like when people become so like liberal and so accepting of every point of view that they allow Nazis to the table. I wow. wonder, like, if you can get too non-dual to the point where you're you're too accepting of too much duality. So that's a surface level non-duality mm. in that, 
you know, and, and mind you, based on those conversations you and I have had for a couple of years mm -hmm. now, I've been mm -hmm. looking at those kinds of things. And it's if one can allow a Nazi at the table, so long as they are willing to drop the ism that they're involved with mm -hmm. and go for this non-dual state that is this table that we're sitting at, um, because you're already by nature of being a Nazi, separating yourself from others. You right. Know? Yeah. And so I think that in that case, like, I would certainly have my own um, people that I wouldn't want at the table initially, you know, right. um, yeah. philosophically and, and politically, etc. That aside, they need to be there. That's the only way they're going to get out of yeah. that, that place that they're at, you know. Mm. Yeah, and then I guess there's another dual, another non-dual dualism between like the real dirty, practical, realistic, mundane, and then the more ethereal, philosophical, abstract, you know, idea ideas, and uh, and you know, people react violently. I mean, at times, every once in a while, you got someone who's particularly sensitive and you're talking abstractly, you know, like Sadhguru talking about how stress is something that you create in your mind. It's not something that comes from the external world. And you get people who like have been working 60 hour weeks to, you know, raise their kids and working a second job and can't afford medical care it was like, fuck you, Sadhguru, you live in a <laughs> palace, you know, like you and uh, and, you know, it's like, well, I can see their point, but I can also kind of see his point, you know, like they're kind of right. talking about two different things. Um, it's not like a solution to these nitty gritty. I mean, like the, 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 the floor of the Golden Dawn Temple, for instance, is black and white tile. Nobody's trying to paint the whole thing gray. It's just a yeah. matter of how to wear red socks, how to how to how to walk on the earth and yet be be in the world but not of the world of course Absolutely. it helps to have money but you know <laughs> a little bit of privilege I mean, goes a long it, way you know it does and it doesn't like you're familiar with the musks right the musks yes you mean elon yeah. and them yeah no <laughs> no 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 not them oh <laughs> uh, they're and and mind you i'm gonna get it wrong where they're from all right okay but uh these guys, I, I want to, it's Middle Eastern for sure. Mm -hmm. um, at least I hope I'm right about that. But if not, somebody correct me and, and finger wag me uh, to death. Um, these are the kinds of guys and women who have searched for this non-dual state and achieved it. But as you and I have learned in alchemy, there are three possible uh results through the work that we do the mm. first result is achieving complete and total illumination or enlightenment or nirvana if you like there is the possibility of death you know you read the bigot tricks don't realize that there's arsenic and apple seeds and you kill yourself because you didn't pay mm. attention mm. you know then there's the third type who go crazy you know and mm. and what i mean by that is functionally crazy in this shared consensus reality of ours mm -hmm. so if we were to approach a musk they would be that latter that last category where we could give them a boiling hot cup of coffee right 
because there's because they might want some caffeine, but rather than drinking the coffee because all things are one thing and nothing is discernible, they might wear it on top of their head, mm. you know. Mm. And and that's not a place anybody wants to get to. I'm sure. I'm not sure they might be happy in that state. You know, mm. I can't imagine boiling coffee over my head, but you know, what right. do I know? Like, so it reminds me a little bit of Diogenes. I don't know if there's a relationship. Mm-hmm. How he, you know, the stories like how when they, they were cutting his arm off, I think, or maybe I'm mixing him up with someone else. And uh, he wasn't crying out and someone asked him, why aren't you crying out? And he's like, I haven't decided whether pain is bad or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Even all, you know, even if it's all just mythopoetic. And right. none of those things actually happen. Like anybody who tells Alexander to get out of my sunlight, you know, it's like, fuck. <laughs> yeah. There's you know? an Indian counterpart, Ajivika. Well, that's the name of the school, but I, I forget the name of the founder. He was a contemporary with Lord Buddha and Mahavir. And, uh, and he, he was very counter. Well, he had, he had a few things. He said, there's no free will. So he, he, he was a little bit dogmatic about that, but, uh, but you know, he, he would kind, kind of go through moods like he, he got drunk and said, desecrate my body when I die. And then, uh, then he sobered up and said, you know, give my body a respectful, you know, uh, funerary rites. And then he died. So they did both or they, they did like a respectful funerary rite and then abused his body. And, and you know, interesting character, very interesting character. Right. <laughs> well, and that's one of those things that is supremely interesting, I think, about Vajrayana and it's, you know, um, action towards taboos, breaking mm. taboos, you mm. know, um, these notions of, of, like you said, I mean, well, let's just take Padmasambhava, you know, hanging out in charnel grounds, right? Mm. You know, yeah, that's, that's already mm. counter, you know, um, counter to the way normal people or what we would call normal people behave. I know? went to the, the spot where he allegedly w- uh, sat in the charnel grounds near Bodhgaya. It's no longer charnel grounds, uh, but it's oh, a okay. forest. And I went there and meditated for a while and I got this rock. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So now I keep it over by Padmasambhava. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's supposedly where he... There. And, and the Dakini used to be, I mean, used to be in India, it's a bad word. It, it, like, it's one of those words they don't want you to say. Like, it's, it's like saying gin. They're like, hey, don't, don't say that word, go invoke it. And, uh, and so it, it, cause it means like ferocious female spirit, basically. Right. And, uh, yeah. and that, that was kind of the point at the time was, was he was able to, you know, uh, how to say it without sounding like a male chauvinist. Um, you know, he, he, he got them on, on the side of the Dharma. He, he was able right. to, to show the Dharma to the ferocious demonic women spirits. And then they became like goddesses in Vajrayana Buddhism. And then kind of in his particular brand of Vajrayana Buddhism that he brought to Tibet. And so that Sanskrit word uh, became, became synonymous with a kind of Buddhist goddess in Tibet. And yet in India, it still means like 
demonic ghost woman that you should stay away from and so it's really oh, interesting okay. there's a lot a lot of yeah. little things like that that i've learned <laughs> yeah that's fascinating learned that accidentally but yeah that, that was where he did that was that particular charnel ground um, okay so i thought it was important for my journey yeah. to uh go sit there and bring a rock back with me so <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, so you said there was two questions that you wanted oh, to Oh, the second with. one is, is there, I don't know if maybe we covered it, is there a non-dual, a, a way to approach the relationship between non-dual thinking and dualistic thinking? Oh, I think, I think we kind of covered it. Um, you know, I think part of it, um, the the one way i think to look at that that's productive you know it's also crazy making so if you if if somebody listening tries this at home you know um that's on you but <laughs> you know when you start to actively see phenomena as only arising and now mind you it's solipsistic so i'm not saying that this is a practice i've learned from anybody or anything like that but but when you start to approach things where everything is a phenomena inside of you then these ideas that are outside of you that seem non-dual are only competing with something else that is higher than that than yeah. than a first principle you know and i think now i'm i'm gonna go back to the west for a second you have mm -hmm. uh don scottis um or What's his name? Scottish Urajima. I, I he was a Neoplatonist. Um, it's it's John Duns Scotus is is the full name, right? Okay. And and he was one of those people who harped continuously in the Neoplatonic tradition about first principles, you know. Mm -hmm. And and there's this idea that if you know it's if we have a set of things, right? and there is a thing outside of that that's bigger or i shouldn't say outside of it but if there's a thing that's bigger then it must be contained inside of that thing right mm -hmm. yeah and and so there comes a point where there's paradox but we can get into that later if you want to like because that that feeds into the parmenides dialogue about is this is or is this not is and is it part of the set is it not part of the set wasn't that you Bill know Clinton's, uh, oh no that's something else <laughs> i mean you know right yeah it depends on what your definition of is is <laughs> right oh bill <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is uh i've talked to my llama about this and uh, just that notion of is, because he's a very big fan of uh, language, semiotics, and things like that, linguistics altogether. Um, and, you know, one of my, what I would call a foundational text for me, and, you know, we've talked about it ad infinitum, is Prometheus Rising. I'm a huge mm. fan. Well, I think I will be a Robert Anton Wilson fan until. I am no longer a part of this reality and maybe beyond who knows um and he talks about e prime and e prime is you know the the notion of taking is or any form of the verb to be out of your language mm. the problem with that you know so like let me give you a real quick example um I might say 
my fingernails are long, right? Right. And for somebody who's speaking E prime, that's a very bad way of stating that. If we were going to use E prime, we might say that my fingernails appear to be long, you know, mm. so that to be turns into this adverb versus being the actual verb. Because mm. appearing can come and go and arise and fall and things like that. The problem with this or appear is long. that. Mm. Right, right. You know, <laughs> and the problem with that is that, at least according to my llama, that these things, you, you can't fight the problem with language because it's not a language problem. Mm. You know, language is a part of duality because we have this subject object relationship with everything, mm. you know. And, and I mean, that's most languages. I'm not aware. Yeah. There may be a language, but that's not the case, but I'm not familiar with well, it. Well, one interesting point is my Hebrew teacher taught me that there is no present tense is in Hebrew. Um, if you put a word next to another word, then depending on context, it either means this is this or this of this. And so, it, uh, okay. which, make, which brings up an interesting point does not a -A mean I am? And the answer is no, it means I will be. It's future right. tense. So they have, yeah. uh, they have to be in, in future and I possibly in past tense. I'm not sure about that. But. So yeah, that's the, I mean, the I will be is another one of those things where if it's not translated that way, this gets us into um, the the trap of reification mm. you know and so saying i am anything you know like anything you put after the am is already incorrect mm. you know like if if tetragrammaton is everything you know then then mm. to say i am anything is just it's pointless yeah you know well you brought up solipsism and um and uh, some of these ideas that kind of triggered a, a, a an avalanche of ideas in my mind. Um, for example, one is I notice an unnecessary, in my opinion, dual a dualistic approach between folks who say it's all in your head. Maybe the the Lon Milo Duquette variation. It's all in your head. You just have no idea how big your head is. And then the other is, it's not all in your head, these things are real. And in my view, this is unnecessary. It's, mm -hmm. it's an un unnecessary polarization that it's like, a, a, a okay, let's make up a sock puppet here, let's make up a sock puppet here, let's have them argue. Like, yeah. no, need, no need for these sock puppets. But the, anyway, so there's that. And then the other thing is, okay, it's the idea that everything you experience is in your, let's say, mind, you know, mm -hmm. keep it, keep it neutral, you know, brain, I don't know, like uh, my, my old teacher, uh, Gordon would say the brain is a switchboard, it's just a, a meat sock, it's just, you know, little on and off switches that in maybe in an as above, so below sense, that's as far as he went with it. But then I added, well, maybe in an as above, so below sense, you can look at the synapses and the synaptic patterns in the brain and divine what the thoughts are in the mind. Um, but yeah, so so there's that level that mm -hmm. that a, a person who says, for example, 
when I make this talisman of this angel, I'm actually working with an aspect of my own unconscious mind. Are I mean, I always feel like they're still limiting the their efficacy to within the skull, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I tend to think of it more like sun rays or an octopus's arms. Like, yes, that octopus arm is not the same as that octopus arm, yet they are both a part of the same octopus in an important way, you know, like in, in more than just a surface way, like if we could see behind the veil, you know, so, so that gets back into that non-dual perhaps idea that it's all one mind and yet we are separate minds perhaps within the mind but then of course we we're limited to like the red bull is within the can our minds are within the mind i don't know if that's just a because of language we have to use these metaphorical uh articles or what are these words inside outside on top underneath what is that that's uh prepositions yeah 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 these prepositions yeah. We only get yeah. a handful of prepositions. We have to pick the, the one that fits best. So right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't um, know if I said anything, but uh no, yeah. no, no. I, I definitely am picking up what you're laying down there. Um you know, my thoughts on that. Um first off, I'm I've not drawn any conclusions, you know. Mm -hmm. Um but but with that said you know, there is, it, it makes me think of, say, you know, Jingmei Lingpa and Namkai Norbu, you know, who these guys and, and plenty of others who I'm not naming, um, and many people in many traditions have said that um, there isn't even a mind. You know, mm. like when you when you start and mind you, I have not Wu taken Wei. any. Yeah, uh, I haven't taken any Dzogchen practices, mm. but, you know, like when I've heard my teacher talk about them, uh, just the practices alone, which, you know, it's like when you think about what Dzogchen is and somebody talking about it, it seems futile. All right. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking about we Tom Cruise and the Last Samurai. No <laughs> mind. <laughs> right. Um, I love that scene, by the way. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just so, because okay. it's Tom Cruise doesn't mean it isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tropic Thunder, case in point. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so let's see where I, I know you told me to hold that thought too. yeah no um, it's okay talking about uh no mind and outside and inside and things like that right right um and again you know uh let me emphatically state that uh i'm only but learning any of this and right. so you know um i just say that you know because I have teachers who understand this or, you know, and, and I'm still like, I'm, I'm sipping from the fire hose as it were, you know? Yeah. I think it's a uh, good place to be in a place absolutely. of not taking a position 
I mean, when it comes to uh, these sort of unknowable things. What right. the heck? Right. Where are we? I mean, when it comes to like politics, it's a little different, but where, where um, are we? Who am I? Where am I? Whoa. Are we both there? What's happening? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm seeing both of us. Okay, I, I did something that I've never done before and I don't know what's going on, but it's okay. All right, I'll just assume that it's still recording normally. Okay. <laughs> so, um, as far as, you know, what's outside, what's inside, when I evoke an angel versus invoke an angel, um, you know, is this talisman actually reaching the thing that I'm searching for? You know, right. uh, I think that, you know, one of the things that the Golden Dawn is great as far as preparatory work for that is concerned is, you know, when Mather starts talking or whomever, you know, you won through you four documents, um, we're striving to clear away the mirror, right? Yeah. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, like if we refer to the sphere of sensation as the mirror, you know, then then we're striving to make what it is we think, say, Mikhail actually is like the force, you mm. know, versus all of the things we've been conditioned with in, in childhood, culture, society, you know, parents, relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of these things have a bearing on when we use a, I'll, I'll call magic a telephone. When we use that telephone to call out to Michael or Mikhail, you know, it's a, it's a crummy line. And, and part of what magic is supposed to do, I think, is it's supposed to clear that line up. You know, it's supposed to take you from using a satellite phone to, to using an actual landline, you know? Yeah. Um, and so in the same way with that happening, when, when the reflection starts to become clear, then you can start ask, actually asking questions of, well, who's doing the perceiving, you know, right. who is, yeah. who's making the call, you know, uh, right. you mentioned earlier the, the notion of free will. And, and I forget, um, you, I forget the name you, you mentioned. Ajivika. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, I tend to agree with, like, I agree and I disagree <laughs> with the notion of having no free will. Mm -hmm. um, on any given day, depending on how we're talking, I will argue for the fact that there is no such thing as free will. Mm -hmm. um, I, don't, I don't buy into it anymore. Um, I think that there is a smaller will. There is a will of an ego, all right? Mm -hmm. And, and this thing can't ever be free. The only way to free it is to put it into service of the higher, you know, mm. like the, the, the actual, and, and this is my own philosophy, belief, idea right now, as confused as it might be, you know, what we call free will is only free inside of this structure called the ego, right? Mm. And so once it's actually opened and you realize that it wasn't there to begin with, you know, then it's actually in service to the divine and you're oh, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm. I don't know if I said oh because of because I I I caught on to the essence of what you were saying or if it triggered something else. Because the 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 uh the very notion of what people usually mean by free will is mm-hmm. is an ego thing. Again, right. it's a difference between if we're talking on this level versus on this level. If somebody's talking about I can I can say this and this and I won't get arrested, you know, like that's right. That's that's one level of freedom. But uh, the ability to act from what from ego from what from, you know, right from wherever. I mean, if you it, it's it's I mean, one thing in transformations, my dad wrote, there's nothing but freedom and consequences, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Right. You can operate, you can operate from kind of, I mean, what we in Golden Dawn, this Victorian model, uh, tend to call the lower nature, the more right. animalistic nature, and usually get ourselves into trouble doing that. Um, on the other hand, if we're, if we, you know, that same animalistic nature might be concerned with survival. And mm-hmm, so sure. it's, it's important not to ignore that. Um, but then that, that animalistic nature might be a little too concerned with, let's say, you know, reproduction or something, you know, finding a, a mate and then acting appropriately and whatnot. And so certain things have to be kind of tempered by, let's say, the higher nature or wherever the Ruach right. is, the middle nature, the... Well, anyway, um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying anything. Right. <laughs> no, I think so. I'm. I'm with you. I'm. I'm hearing you. But yeah, um, the, the free will. Well, the question it, it presupposes the ego in itself. It's so right. that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And and I'm. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to uh, have fights with Freudians or unions. <laughs> what the hell? what is an ego you know right yeah it's 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 a mechanism of different parts and so even in and of that that's not a thing like going back to our is versus is not thing right it's these component parts that come together that synergize into this thing that separates itself from everything else you know yeah and so that doesn't exist so if that doesn't exist where the hell is that lower level free will you know Mm. um the other thing, and, and this goes again to that idea, that notion of what is outside versus inside. They go back to the question. Mm. Um, when you think about memories, right? Um, memories can get triggered by things that you perceive either rightfully or wrongfully outside of yourself. What the right. hell does that mean? Is mm. the memory inside of you then or is it outside of you? Is it contained mm. in that thing that triggered it? or not. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these things, but you know, it's, it's something that I think about a lot. Um, yeah. You know, Hmm. so the, 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 for me, the jury is still out on, you know, on whether or not Duquette is, is accurate (laughs) and not precise or if he's precise and, and accurate or, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I I like there's certain 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 ways and poetic ways of putting it that I like. Um, mm-hmm. But if somebody put a gun to my head and you know said you have to do you, do you defend this as absolute truth? I'd be like, oh, 
I guess maybe I don't, you know, like, I mean, uh, one example of that for me personally is the multiverse theory. I enjoy mm -hmm. the hell out of it. I love the idea of parallel timelines and the timeline where I didn't come to India. There's a me that's what's he doing? I don't know. You know, um, it's it's a fun it's a fun, you know, uh, storytelling device for sure, as right. Marvel has learned, you know, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but if somebody put a gun to my head and said, is this the only timeline? I might be like, yeah, I think it is. You know, I, I think this might actually be the only real universe. Um, right. But maybe I'm wrong, you know. And so, so in a similar way, I like the idea of the Noosphere and uh, it, like Tellier Desjardins, uh, well, and the poetry that uh, Ralph, what's his name, kind of uh, riffed off of Tellier Desjardins' vision talking about that the the brain of the earth is the sum total of all of the brains of the animals let's say i mean mm. it's sort of human centric thing you know but but that and that as we communicate <clears throat> you know things like the internet things like maybe psychic uh you know telepathic connections and and this kind of thing or you know the more the more harmonious the human race can be then the more like psychologically uh healthy that collective brain is and then you know then it's just it's not doesn't take much to extend that out to the cosmos from there and it's very much in line with a particular interpretation of romans 12. Um, mm. not, not all parts of the brain have the same function. There's, you know, an amygdala right. and there's, you know, all these different functions. Um, the other thing that, I, that I wanted that what you were saying reminded me of was I was talking recently with Priyal because it, I, I had a dream recently, the night before last morning, yesterday morning. Um, and in the dream, I was reciting a poem that I had written and mm everyone in the audience knew the poem and I was like oh wow they all know the poem they and they knew the particular way that I had recited it and uploaded it onto the internet and we were all reciting it together and I was like so right. flattered and then I woke up and realized I haven't written that poem <laughs> but in the dream I wasn't writing it I was remembering it and I was remembering right, yeah. it as something that I had written maybe in another dream um or or something and then also in that same dream i sat down like that gave me a boost of confidence everybody knowing my poem and i sat down at the computer and just wrote three lines that were just mind-blowing brilliant just like perfect wordplay perfect choice of like really on point and then i woke up and don't know what it was don't know what it was yeah. and uh, she had yeah. she had the same one happen uh two times once a while ago and once just recently where she was composing music and uh you know every little nuance and every little thing like that but then we were analyzing what is it that keeps us from being able to do that while we're awake and part of it is being self-conscious and i was like yeah that's true if i if i sit down to compose a piece of music or if i sit down to write a poem i'm automatically thinking about what so-and-so is going to say what they're going to think or oh well using that word oh that's so cliche you know all these different things not only that but 
I have to make room in my consciousness right now for this and for this and for this and for this and for this. Right. Like I'm so it's like a computer that has 1500 tabs open just starting out, you know, and then then telling right. it to do something. And it's uh, it's taking its time, maybe craps out and doesn't doesn't do it right. But in the dream state, maybe depending on what level, um, we don't have any of those. We can we can key right. in very very cleanly to to an innate ability that we have. And then I was thinking, well, it seems reasonable that meditation would help to clear out the channels and uh, help to kind of exercise the mental muscle if it's a mental thing you know you could substitute the word spiritual but as i've as i've gone through the years i don't even know i know less and less what the word spiritual means until it's become entirely meaningless but um and people say what you don't believe in spiritual and it's like ah, that's not where i'm going with it it's i mean right. it, it, it's more like spiritual has subsumed or or has absorbed all things within itself to the point where outside of all things it doesn't exist it's sort of like saying void to somebody who's into the suchness there's like there is no void there's only suchness and it's like well that's what i mean by void though you know and so it's like somebody's saying spiritual and somebody else has a knee-jerk reaction against the word spiritual. I understand both of them. And I, you know, and I often try to like find a way to like, well, what he's saying is this, and what he's saying is this, and you guys aren't saying different things, you know, just like get over the word spiritual, stop using the word spiritual so much, you know, and then we'll all we'll all be able to communicate, you know, because we're all talking about the same thing. Shoot. Did I go off for like an hour and then like get, get <laughs> no, far, no. far away from what I was saying? <laughs> no, yeah, no, the no, dreams right. and dreams. And so, right. so meditation. And so, so we clear out the channels. We learn to create emptiness to, well, create is one of those words like the prepositions inside, outside, create. There's a limited number of verbs, you know, um, to, to, to be within an empty place or a silent place and uh, reduce the, the clutter. And I mean, nowadays, I mean, it seems like the dog faced demons, you know, for lack of a better term, um, are really uh, wanting, you know, like the, this, it's the screen addiction thing. We're on screens at work, we're on screens during playtime, we're on screens in the bathroom, we're on screens first thing in the morning, we're on screens last thing before we go to bed. And, uh, so we can't even get to the clutter we can't even get to the junk that's supposed to be filling up our brain keeping us from enlightenment because we're stuck behind a screen of like a secondary layer of clutter that's filling up our brains oh my but God. how beautiful is that that you get this awesome <laughs> chance to separate or become non-attached to the things you're interacting with it's the wrong you know? direction, I think. <laughs> yeah, it, it might be. That's you true. Know? I mean, that maybe um, people had a similar idea about like books and literacy at one time. Um, yeah. That, like instead of experiencing things, you're reading about them. Now, instead of experiencing things, we're watching them. You know. Right. Right. Or instead of but reading I mean, about them, we're watching them. Instead of watching the movie, we're watching the, the re reaction and the review. And instead of watching that, we're watching the TikTok distillation of the best part of the review. 
Right. <laughs> it's just getting worse and worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, you know, um, I think that's a symptom, though, of the mind actually telling itself, hey, this is not the, if there is an essence, and that's a big if, mm. if there is an essence of things, you know, your, your, your distance from it is no different than it ever was. You're just becoming aware of the fact that it's not there to begin with. Mm. Right. You know, I hope that's the case. I, I agree. I, I hear what you're saying. And I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. Um, it seems that it is the case that, that people, by and large, myself included, forget this fact, you know, and become subsumed in the screen, you know. Um, mm. But it's, it's a chance to, I think it's a chance. It's an opportunity. Like one of the things that the Vajrayana tells us is that everything is the path everything that you do can be the path right mm -hmm. and so that that should include the screens and the distance from the screens i think you know yeah. i hope on a good day it does <laughs> <laughs> that's true yeah that's interesting yeah there's ups and downs with it i i, I notice um you know like yeah i get comfortable with the distance and mm -hmm. uh and Kind of being a, the the freedom to turn it off i think that's one thing you don't yeah. get with real life like if you actually right. walk walking through the park if you want to not be walking through the park well then you have to walk through the park <laughs> to get back to your house you know but uh right, but if right. you if you're tired of watching the the youtube video you just turn it off you know so right yeah <laughs> that's brilliant um yeah but that's i mean the other thing, going back, are you familiar with uh, Tenzin Wangil Rinpoche? No. Okay. I mean, I know um, the words Tenzin and Rinpoche, but what was the middle one? Uh, I might be saying it wrong because I don't speak Tibetan, but it's uh, Wangyal. It's okay. W A N G Y A L. Okay. And I don't, I don't know uh, the person. Yeah. Okay. So he's. Uh, I think the, the title of the book is Yoga Nidra, which is, you know, what you were just talking about oh. with dream, um, the idea of dreams and all that. And yeah, one of the great things about that, you know, what you were just saying is that that moment of lucidity that you you had about, you know, maybe part of it is my self-consciousness that's that's stopping me from being creative. Maybe it's, you know, this or that other thing, you know. Um, and that's one of the great things about their practice, as I understand it, which is, you know, it makes you comfortable and familiar with the, the idea of illusory body or illusory right. mind, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I suspect that's why some of these, you know, um, llamas and Rinpoches are wonderful creatives, you know, like mm -hmm. if you look at just some of like rock sculptures or poetry or or paint, you know, it's just like, it's at another level, you know, mm. it's like, it's, it's at another level because they're not bogged down by all of these things, you know, ego and everything outside of that, you know? Yeah. Mm. That's, that's my suspicion. I, um, I'm happy to be corrected. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I think so too. I mean, I think that there's different paths that, uh, can lead to to different places. 
I mean, in mm-hmm. one sense, there's 8 billion paths at present. Um, but there's like, yeah, like the, the, uh, the path makers, uh, there's an interesting, I'm just sort of free associating now, um, in, um, in Jainism, uh, Tirtankara is their word for the great masters, and it, it means religious ford. And they use the metaphor, the Ford and being an ignorant American, I had to look that up because I only know the car, but, it, but it's like the, the, the little uh, stream in the middle of the river that somehow you're able to get into this channel that brings you directly to the other side. And then, oh, the other side, you know, like in the Heart Sutra, I get it. Right. So, so yeah, there's more than one way across the river and uh right it's probably the same river <laughs> but, we, but we don't know for sure but yeah i mean I, I i like the state of not knowing i think that's like part of the the wisdom of not grasping because grasping right. of course there's a physical act of grasping but the mental act of grasping is wanting to know the answer right. um, so you can memorize it and go forth <laughs> knowing the answer you know there's some right. things two plus two you know but these these sort of higher uh, the unanswerable questions are unanswerable like they're supposed to be yeah and people can have so, a hard fast theory hmm? i was just gonna say um yeah yeah uh a long time ago uh when i was practicing korean zen you know mm. um the the head of the lineage that i was a part of was sung i'm gonna say his name wrong but it was sung soon and his favorite phrase or sorry i shouldn't say his favorite phrase a phrase that he was very popular for when he was describing the state that we're talking about is don't know mind you know right and it's i don't know you know it's Mm. like and that's a that's the place to be don't know mind (laughs) instead of no right Oh, I like. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. You know, like I don't know. You know. Yeah. Um, get comfortable with that uncertainty because that's the only thing that you should be comfortable. Uh, again, according to him, that you should be comfortable. Yeah. With. My my old teacher Gordon was. He used to use the name No Zen. <laughs> like, get out of here with that Zen. No Zen. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Alan Watts, talk, Alan Watts was talking about um, that, like, yeah, that, that Zen masters will will use the phrase "he stinks of Zen," <laughs> like someone who, <laughs> like, doing all the Zen things, saying all the Zen <laughs> things, quoting all the Zen masters and patriarchs and everything. It's like, uh, making sure that you're whisking all of your green tea. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like, but yeah, it's interesting the things that the ego can turn into shackles to keep the to keep a person from actually attaining what they're trying to attain and it's in that sense is the kind of the truth in a statement like that the neophytes are the closest to to the light and uh right. that the, lo- the longer you're on the path the more you've created this you know, I mean, the tower is like a perfect, like, you know, when, 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 I mean, but people, I mean, it, it, it almost feels heretical to say that, 
that the vault is the tower <laughs> that you've you've created, built this structure with all this knowledge and all these correspondences and all these practices and tatwas, and it's all come together into one symbol. Okay, now strike it down like the tower that it is. It's like what? No, this isn't that tower. This is this is the good tower that's on foundation of all night. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, and and I think uh, the last time you and I talked on a podcast, I may have said this, if not, um, it's one of the things I was thinking of while I was still acting as an imperator for Temple. Oh, oh yeah. You know, um, that is that the, the third order is comprised, in my mind, it's comprised of the neophytes and the outer order in mm. general, you know, if you're actually serving the outer order, then mm. you as an adept are serving the third order. You know, mm. like you're you're following the the whims of what the order wants because that new spirit, that new pneuma that's coming in is what's giving life to the current. And that's interesting, yeah. And if you're doing it right, you know, you should be feeding that, you know, not mm. one of these people. It goes and it goes back to the Dead Sea, and it goes back to Latin in the sense that if you know it's not changing, if it's not growing, if it's not moving, then it's dead. You know mm. that again. My opinion. I'm not saying that there's not a place and a time for rules and things to stay the way they are. And you know, um, when when I started to, pardon me, mm. uh, rework some of the stuff that when I when me and Patricia moved to uh, Michigan, I started working with a Galukpa tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. Mm. And so I started learning Lamrim as you know you're supposed to do in the in preparation. And so what's wonderful about that is you get to learn why those those rules are in place. You know, you get to one of the things, and, and I'm sure you and I share this sentiment, or I think we have at least at different times in our life, when you mm. hear people say, well, what's the lineage of your order? And it's mm. like, well, lineage doesn't mean it's, it's, it's a receipt, <laughs> you know? Of and, course, we would say that because our lineage was crap. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> people who have it flaunt it. We were, we were like, no, never mind lineage. It's all in here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and 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 that's the point, right? You know, because like I'm yeah. hearing uh, Demo Rinpoche talk about this wonderful lineage that he has, you know, right. and he explains why he's saying because it's a living tradition. You know, it's not mm. something that he read out of a book; it was something that was handed to him. Yeah. You know, and for good, bad, or worse, you know, because I know that there's uh, uh, people who are frightened by the idea of guru worship. You know, right? But yeah. there, there's a place for it. And it's a place in that lineage because it's a living tradition. Yeah. You know, that makes it a world of difference between that and us worshiping this 19th century English guy who may or may not have had context from Germany, you know, mm. saying this is how you put on a God form or whatever the case might be. Right. You know, mm. so so when I, I started doing that Lam Rim, it's like, oh, shit, this is. This is the good about having a living tradition lineage, you know? It's yeah. not just having a certificate, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know where, I think I went tangential. <laughs> no, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, we we were definitely together on the path of being a part of a temple with no lineage. So we yeah. we explored and may I won't say exhausted the possibilities of, but it sure felt like it at times of of that scenario. Um, kind of like everybody bringing everybody bringing their own ideas, thoughts, and insights, and dreams, you know, to the table. And then, mm -hmm. and then hopefully weaving it together into something that could replace a lineage, <laughs> or you right. know, borrow, borrowing a little bit from Cicero, borrowing a little bit from Zalewski, and kind of like rewrapping it and saying it came from the third, you know. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, and, and and going back to that, I think that there is a notion. I think there is a place and a time to talk about um luxex tenebris you know and other potential figures of the third order that are either non-incarnate incarnate and non-incarnate or something else you know mm. like i just got finished saying that the third is comprised of the outer order i mm. think it's, or maybe they're higher selves yeah well well sure you know mm. um but i and i i think and what i mean by that is just that that is that is part of what comprises it, but the other part are these spiritual entities that we were trying to contact. It just mm. it just so happens that we had a dirty mirror. You know, it was mm. our job to clean that mirror up so that we could hear that voice better, so that we could serve the outer order better. You know, mm. Um, mm. or or maybe I'm just trying to do some patchwork on my memory and and my morality while I was in the order. You know, could be that. I I always enjoyed uh, Shemesh from the Cromlech papers, um, yeah. but he he seemed to. I mean, uh, you know, we all have our cognitive biases, and mm -hmm. his was his, his Shemesh seemed to be in line with my own um, kind of yeah that whole idea of call nothing common or unclean that even mm. he who who aspires to sensual lust it has an aspiration and an ideal and if that's the highest ideal that he can conceive of then let him aspire to that ideal and it will eventually pass away and be replaced with even higher ideals and uh beautifully said yeah i mean i i'm yeah. remembering it i it didn't come yeah. me, but but yeah i mean talking to the guy who was trying to get everybody to come to church with him you know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I mean, that's the case. That's, I think that's no matter what walk of life you're in, you yeah. know, um, and I mean this at the most degenerate level, uh, up to the highest possible level and everything in between, you know, one of the things that my Lama says, and I'm going to misquote him and, and, you know, shame on me. Uh, but it's, uh, he says the, the, one of the things to um, that that is the core of of Buddhism is that we are all searching for the ending of suffering, but are ignorant to the causes of that end. You know, and so the the eightfold path is what gets you there. But you know, right. when you think about that, you know, and you think about that Nazi who's trying to join our non-dual table, you know, even mm. even that person. You know, regardless of what they've done in their life, regardless of where they're going, they're at that table because they're trying to aspire to something better. 
you know, right. and, and we can only but hope that it's not to be a more efficacious Nazi, but, you know, <laughs> I digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Gosh. And, and I mean, I know a lot of people, I mean, and it seems like, I mean, the morality of kind I mean, what am I saying? There's like Yeshua morality, but then the, the people on the left and the people on the right, at least the Christian ones, are convinced that the political affiliation is in alignment with Yeshua's morality and teachings. Um, the one, you know, maybe leaning more heavily toward Leviticus, <laughs> and the other might be ignoring one or two things, you know, but focusing on kind of like feed the poor, <laughs> you know, like right. uh, be nice to prostitutes, you know, like, like, uh, and this kind of thing. Um, and not because they'll give you a rebate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my mom told me a joke once, how do you make a hormone? Don't pair. <laughs> um, <laughs> see i prefaced that by saying my mom told me that joke <laughs> very honored sore a by the way but anyway um no i don't know yeah yeah i mean the, the, I think, the right I mean, and the left that's, are both there's wrong. a duality wrong. you're right yeah, yeah there's definitely wrong in both i i i don't know if there's right in both <laughs> That's fair, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe well-meaning people, uh, yeah. you know, people who, who think that their heart's in the right place, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but, but uh, yeah, and that's another one of those dualisms where it's easy to get, it's easy to become a pinball down on the level mm -hmm. of the black and white tile. Mm -hmm. And it's also easy to ignore the black and white tile once you've figured out how to to transcend. And right. so then there there comes a need to find a non-dual relationship between duality and non-duality. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I know in my own life, you know, just based on my own politics, uh anybody on either side of those politics sees me as duplicitous you know one day i'm i'm talking about you know this bleeding heart notion of let's feed all the the homeless and hungry you know and the next day i'm talking about you know instead of feeding them let's figure out how to enrich them to feed themselves kind of thing you know where it takes on a more what might be considered conservative viewpoint, you know, mm. um, I've seen myself and, and I think that this is, of course, I think it's healthy because it's cognitive bias, but, um, the notion of, you know, being anti-choice or, you know, um, pro-choice, you know, as you like, mm. Or whichever mm. verbiage you'd like to use. Um, Pro-life pro or pro-death. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I Pro-abortion. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you could, you could easily say, um, 
like I was just saying, you know, instead of saying pro-life, say anti-choice, you know, like that, that spins it a different way too, you know, but, but there's this notion, like there are times in my life where I see everything as a gift from the divine. And if Mm. I don't, with my own ego, interrupt that gift, then what could potentially be an unborn life might be born. And so I can make that case and that argument in my own mind for why I might be anti-abortion. That doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and one, campaign on it, or two, tell any woman or any man, for that matter, what it is they should do with their own body. That's not what that's about. That's just my own thinking of it, you know? Yeah. So, and I mean, and, and things being illegal versus things being legal is a different question from right or wrong, I think. Absolutely. Um, well, like and, drugs, and that's the thing that, like with right. drugs or prostitution or any of these things, if it's legal, then you can do it safely and you can call the police if one of the Johns starts being abusive versus when it's illegal and you have to hide from the police, you know, or, you know, like if, if drugs are illegal and someone steals your cocaine, then you call the Godfather, you know, but if it's (laughs) legal and someone steals your cocaine, you call the police, you know? So, I mean, (laughs) in order, you know, so it's like, well, but then there's the question of what's better the 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 fascist military state or you know organized crime or, or what's the difference you know or, or that right kind of right well and and you know it's bouncing around is, in know, the black and white tiles again yeah <laughs> in in my um in my uh sophomoric attempt to be a film analyst i mm. absolutely fell in love with godfather Part oh of course again. yeah mm. i mean oh, it's a great cool. film yeah but in the beginning this notion of the Undertaker coming to the Godfather for justice. Like, I, mm. that has been lost on me for years. Like, I only just saw it last year again. And mm. the first thing is, Godfather, I'm coming to you for justice. You know, it's like, what the? Like, that idea, that notion. You never call just, me, you what? never visit me. <laughs> and now you come right. to me on the day of my daughter's wedding <laughs> and you want a favor. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And you know, it's like we all we all start praying when we need something. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, he wants the, the those guys dead, you know, like he right. doesn't want them raped and beaten like his his daughter was. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I and I get that, but so there's this weird notion of justice and, and in even you know, what is it? It's it's not laws amongst thieves, but whatever the case, um you know, there's there's a justice to honor that amongst thieves yeah. or something. That's yeah. the the phrase I was trying to think of. Yeah, and people, it's interesting. I mean, people love. Why are they watching this Dahmer series? Fuck, you know, like the the poor victims' families are like, you've cast an actor to play my son, and you're using his real name, and you did not yeah. ask me for permission, let alone pay me. And now right. everybody's watching it. It's like number one trending on Netflix. Like, okay, is this right or wrong? Maybe it's wrong. But yeah, okay. like everybody loves the pirates. I mean, I'm right. not immune. You know, I mean, I think because people, maybe I'm mean, just like answering my own question. Like, like um, it's like the, the tantric flow reversal or the left hand, however you put it, when, when people practice that way. 
um, doing the thing you're not supposed to do or vicariously doing the thing you're not supposed to do by watching somebody else do it, you know, on a TV show or something. Right. Then, then there's the question, you know, all these pinball tile, black and white tile pinball questions of, you know, does Grand Theft Auto lead to mass school shootings or, or did mm. it, you know, or, or is it something else or is it a combination of things probably more complex? Well, and and I'm gonna sound a bit religious when I say this. Um, That's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not gonna denigrate whatever anybody wants to do or watch or whatever the case might be, but I can say on the in the opposite case, you know, one of the things that we're taught, you know, like again, when you think about um, visualizations, deity yoga, things like that. Um, Obviously, when you elevate what it is you're you're watching or being a part of, and mm. and by by watching, I, I do mean being a part of, it's mm. going to affect your reality. I mean, yeah. I I don't go in for the secret, you know. Mm. I think that it tells half the story of esotericism, or yeah. maybe even a fr I should say a fraction, not half. Um, she's got one thing right. If you focus on something, it will manifest in some way. You know, yeah. and so with that said, if you're focused, here's here's the thing, and this is what I don't know and I don't understand, and you know, I'm probably ignorant about a few more things on this. I don't think that by playing the game, Grand Theft Auto, it's going to cause the things. I think mm. what it does is it just causes more want to play the game. You know, <laughs> yeah, you know, like that. that it, yeah. it goes back to what you'll read in the Dhammapada and things like that about your intention, you know, and my intention was to play the game. My intention wasn't to kill a hooker so I could, you know, get the money back that I, I you know, right. spent on her and, you know, go sell drugs digitally, et cetera. You know, yeah. it's just to play a game, you know, just like so using, the, using that as shorthand ahead. for like all, you know, uh, watching crime, movies where the criminal is the hero and you know i mean it's like we can i mean i used to i used to you know i mean like i don't know if it's polarized like if if you're supposed to think one way about it if you're on this side or think the other way if you're on the other side but it seems to me i mean i used to think you know oh it's bs the uh the violence in movies and violence in video games doesn't result in violent behavior. However, you can't really deny that like kids do glorify, you know, uh, acting like a gangster or acting like a, you know, like even whether it's James Bond, you know, something wholesome and British, like James Bond shooting people in the head or, or you know, gangster rappers or, Whatever it is, you know, um, there's there's something that you know, and and but I you know I mean I can't say for certain. That's the thing is I used to think that I knew for certain that all these people need to just f off, but then there's there's this there's this uh, balance where if you forbid something, then you drive it underground and then you give it more you know, power, yeah. you know, all that. So well, and and even with the James Bond one, you know, it's like. 
then you have to ask the question, well, why does a figure like James Bond exist? It exists because there are spies and subterfuge and, you know, political agendas. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's a body telling another body, I want to do this. And, you know, something else saying, no, that's not lawful. So let me get my top agent on it to make sure that you right. don't blow the world up, you know? Yeah. And, and I know, again, that's peripheral, but, you know, it's still there. Well, and he's like totally on top of everything. He's he's in control. He knows right. all the stuff that nobody knows and uh, then gets the girl at the beginning and the end of the movie and sometimes in the middle, too, and three different girls. <laughs> And, um, and he drives an Ashton Martin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm just now starting down the rabbit hole. I know I'm late as far as like, you know, eras and epochs of, of time in the macrocosm as well as in my own life. But yeah, it's occurred. It, it recently occurred to me that I've only seen a few. And it occurred to me, I don't know how I missed this because we were talking about this. What's the guy's name that took over after Roger Moore? It was uh, Timothy Dalton. Yeah, so Dalton there was, was a post Moore, yeah. I, I remember a time when they were considering Pierce Brosnan, but then yeah. Dalton got it. And I was right. like, you know what, I'm out. And I watched one more. I watched one more. I'm like, all right, I guess he's okay, but I'm not interested because it could have been Pierce Bronston, Brosnan, Remington Steele, you know, the guy from Mrs. Doubtfire, you know who I'm talking about. And and then then I was like, okay, I'm out. And then I joined a cult. And then I was at the Renaissance Fair and I was driving people to and from the cult and everything. And somehow, in 2022, it came as a surprise to me that Pierce Brosnan eventually became 007. I'm like, he did? Yeah. <laughs> oh shit! I should watch those. You know, like I, I that was that was my mom and I were, you know, protesting 007 for not for not casting him, and then I found out just today that he was eventually cast. <laughs> Yeah, but, yeah. When uh, you messaged me about that earlier, I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get there. <laughs> but I, I just because View to a Kill. Now again, I was like six years old when uh, yeah. when I saw View to a Kill the first time. Responsible parents watching what I watch. You know? No, it's it's pretty wholesome. Oh, I I've think, got some so. stories on that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, phases uh, of death. I think I was thirteen. But anyway, um, so yeah, so. It didn't occur to me that he was an old guy, you know, like uh, until years later, people were like, oh, when Roger Moore was like the geriatric James Bond. And then like as an adult watching it, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, he does kind of like can't really run all that much. And he kind of like is like, huh, (laughs) like (laughs) where he's doing more (laughs) acrobatic, you know, fight scenes. in the. And so so just today I saw a younger I think I might have seen the one with the guy with the teeth. Uh, uh, there's two with the guy with the metal yeah. teeth. Um, right. Jaws, um, is that his name? Right, yeah. And uh, so I just saw Live and Let Die, which is problematic, I think, but it was enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a little bit. It was 1970. I'll just leave it at that. Um, yeah. I, mean, and it, I mean, like Mel Brooks was able to exist in those years, but he was doing something positive 
in a non-PC <laughs> way, where I think Live and Let Die was kind of like, not so much, you know, it was like, <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't be made today. I'll just put it. Yeah. Right. Right. And for probably I mean, good reason, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, yeah. I would agree with the people who would say that it shouldn't be made today. You know. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you could do. I mean, Angel Heart. I like. Yeah. Have you seen Angel Heart? Like, like that I'm, was the I'm, movie I was going to cite as far as I shouldn't have saw that when I was a kid. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I love that movie. But oh, I, I, mean, I absolutely love it. But. My parents took me to the theater when that one came Oh, out. wow. Me and my brothers all saw that. You know who didn't love it? Bill Cosby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that right. moral, everybody's moral compass, of course, <laughs> the guy in prison for, for being a total piece of shit as a human being. Thought, we thought it was right. morally reprehensible for... Uh, for the girl from the Cosby show to, to, to star in that role or in that, um, well, yeah, and that's even, but, you know, the scene that she has in there is, is even rough by today's standards, you know, when, yeah. when she and Mickey Rourke are, you know, doing what they, Oh, uh, that scene, when they're yeah. having There's sex, that scene with know, the chicken like, too, but yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah, one yeah. I have less of a problem with just because of the, the KFC nature of, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, you know, have a machine do it and grind it up and put it in a sandwich for me or have uh, an actress slit its throat while everybody's playing drums. Six of one, half a dozen of the other. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and again, I think I may have mentioned this the last time uh, we talked on a podcast, but, you know, I had the uh, opportunity to see my great grandmother, you know, take a chicken by its head and twist it right mm. off like that you know mm. no knife necessary you yeah. know and so you see that kind of thing and it's like eh, i could deal with dancing while they while they slit a chicken's neck you know it's it's yeah. horrible because you don't want to see the loss of life but you know probably not very hygienic to pour the blood on huh. you but if the ritual requires it then you know right <laughs> i mean you know we all do we all do things that aren't hygienic in the name of ritual, right? You know, like. <laughs> you know, that's an interesting point. Now, I don't, uh, I haven't been inside of a Golden Dawn temple for a few years, but I wonder now because oh. of the pandemic and things like that, how do, how do they perform a Eucharist now? Are they still allowed to use one chalice? Maybe little paper cups. You could take the oh, chalice okay, and then pour it, pour that into your individual paper cup or, or have Perfect, them open yeah. there. One thing that it, when I came to India, one interesting thing is, uh, you know, but water bottles, there'll be like a shared water bottle. And so everybody is in the habit of pouring the water into their mouth without the bottle touching their mouth. And, uh, okay. you know, so someone, offered me water and and i just went and put it on my mouth and like hey 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 what are you doing you know and it's like oh right it's interesting you know like the assumptions yeah. people make is that you know the the assumption i think a lot of people would make is that in america people are you know more clean and here they're more like rough but it turned out i was the i was the the uh unhygienic one the heathen. They, yeah. they had to teach me you know so right Oh, good times. Yeah. Um, what uh, the, the other thing I was going to say, you know, like 
I think one of the things that's that's interesting about Bond is um, while it there have been some things that have been subdued more and more, like you know, if we'd watch Sean Connery's Bond as opposed to Daniel Craig's, mm. you know, uh, I don't know if you've gotten that far yet. Um, I haven't yet. I'm aware of certain aspects of Sean Connery's Bond uh, that have yeah. come, you know been pointed out indirectly, but uh, right. you know, so like the, the things that are women, problematic mostly, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so while that's problematic for Sean Connery's Bond, the nature of Daniel Craig's more violent, more, um, you know what what could be perceived as a colonial ethic mm. seems more prevalent in in Daniel Craig than it seemed in and and I you know like who the hell am I I'm not a film critic mm. I'm not a historian or an anthropologist you know but but that's my opinion like like while while things have dialed down other things have been dialed way up and it's like mm. holy shit that's interesting you can get yeah. away with that you know and I don't mean to to paint your your viewing of it, you'll probably oh, no, see it's okay. yeah. completely different. Yeah, um, it's just it's one of those things that I find fascinating. You know, it's, it's something that we're all aware of how mores change over time. You know, yeah. I mean, I know what I mean. It's just from vague memories, distant memories of hearing my mom talk about uh, James Bond that and and watching some of the Roger Moore that Mayday was kind of a breakout character, an early, like, uh, very strong, she was a villain, I mean, kind of. Mm -hmm. she, she turned toward, toward James Bond's side in the end. But she was a very strong character and not, I mean, she herself, the actress, was a bit androgynous. And so, like, some people complain that, well, if you want to make a strong female character, that doesn't mean making her male, you know, or making her act like a man. But Grace Jones, her whole thing is that she's androgynous. I mean, not her whole yeah. thing, but uh, but what is a big part major, of the Yeah, and Mayday yeah. was not all that separate from Grace Jones. You know, she, she yeah. was the the Grace Jones uh, made James Bond character. Um, but yeah, she was a very strong-willed, independent. Well, sort of. I think she sort of started out at like a typical James Bond. Uh, character when she like slept with James Bond to like I don't know what what the point of that was other than just to have him hook up three times in the movie instead of twice you know um, but uh, but yeah then in the end when she turns against Zorin and everything Christopher Walken sorry yeah. right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh, he yeah, I like you'll him. find. I liked him yeah. with Zorin. That was great. He was such a psychopath. Sociopath? No, psychopath. Yeah, definitely. You're going to... Have you seen um, GoldenEye yet? I did. A long time ago. I think in the okay. theater. Yeah. In my opinion, Natasha Anatop, um, I forget. She's, Is that she Fan K. Jansen? Gray. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. She to me embodies that idea of what you're talking about of what a strong woman is right. without making her mad. That was that was the one that people talked about more 
but I always thought May Day was was that before. She, right. You know, yeah, and, totally and of course the blonde lady, I've I've even forgotten her name in uh, the one that was like the heiress in uh that James Bond ends up with in the end of uh View to a Kill. She she was yeah. another she was yeah. another screaming damsel in distress. And that was like, I mean, oh my god, in in Live and Let Die, she was a total not intelligent person you know and she read tarot cards you know on top of it and her whole thing was the tarot cards she believes in the tarot cards they never lie so he had <laughs> that deck that was all lovers cards and made her pick one. <laughs> oh god oh, man so she was dumb so she was a damsel in distress and she was tied up going help me you know and it was just too much it was too much well well, and then again, let's so let's mirror that again with uh, Goldeneye, mm. and you've got Denise Richards, who's not Maris, but she's a scientist, mm. you know, and she's she's still and and I only mean this in the way that they characterize her. She's an airhead, you know, mm. but she's also the helpless, you know. And it's like she believes in science, you know. It's like it's a complete like mirror of of oh. those eras, you know. Oh, interesting. Like, wow. Yeah. You know, this mm. is this is the person I want to be, who I want to see a strong, independent, feminine, etc. And she's the one that gets toned down and turns into whatever. You know, hmm. uh, how interesting! I'll have to rewatch yeah. that. Yeah, because I I I didn't have those eyes. You know, I only would hear about it afterward and go, oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way, of course, because, you know, when I'm 13 or 15, I'm not thinking about like, how is this? Is this helping or hurting the the feminist cause? You know, right. like that's just not really on my mind so much as like, Famke Jansen's rather attractive, you know. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Does this pass the Bechdel <laughs> test? <laughs> And then it turns out, you know, and then I was like, wow, you know, becoming interested in Russian, you know, culture and uh, then finding out she's Finnish. What? Yeah. Of course, that's right yeah. across the border. So, I mean, he's six to one. Yeah. yeah. I just recently, <laughs> I think for a boy, every once in a while, I learn something and I go, oh, and then I realize it's not the first time that I've realized it. Like, for example, it's not chin ball, it's chibnal. That happens at, like once a year, right around August. Is <laughs> someone will say chibnal, and I'll be like, "Really? That's his name? It's not chin ball." <laughs> and then the <laughs> the other one is uh, uh, yeah, six to one, six to one, half a dozen to the other. My dad used to say that all the time, and I knew what it meant. But I, I mean, mm -hmm. I knew that I knew it meant uh, whatever, come see, come saw, you know, like this or that, right. it doesn't matter. But then just recently, I was like, six to one, half mm. a dozen to the other. Oh, because half a dozen is six. <laughs> and so if you're giving six of something or some number of somethings to one thing or person and you're also giving six to the other oh you know and, and but i just the words themselves six to one half a dozen to the other 
didn't register as a coherent statement until like just recently where I was like, oh, but I don't think it was the first time that that's happened. I think it happened once like 15 years ago too. <laughs> it's like I also realized the, coher the coherence of that statement. But anyway, <laughs> do you think that we, do yeah. you think that the, the the audience is bored that we're talking too much about James Bond and non-esoteric <laughs> things? Or uh, I don't I mean, know. Should we should we tie yeah. it back in to Tree let's, of Life? Yeah, let's... How about non-dualism in the West and dualism in the East? No, that's boring. Everybody already knows. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the pillars and uh, the reconciler between them, being a reconciler versus not being a reconciler, being a dualistic. No, that's boring. I don't know. There's only so many mathematical constructions you can get between two and one. You know, <laughs> zero, one, or two. I one time I I took a piece of paper. I was talking about duality and I took I took an index card and I, I I drew two lines and I wrote zero in on one side and then I wrote one and then in the the the, the third one I divided in half and then divided one of those halves in half divided one of those halves in half and divided one of those halves in half and then I wrote two four eight sixteen thirty two sixty four hundred twenty two and two six and I gave it to this guy and he looked at it for a long time and I don't know if the two things are connected, but he lost his mind. <laughs> he, he, en he ended up literally naked, strangling his mother later that oh. night. <laughs> and I, I like to think it was because of that index card, to be honest, but I, I hope it wasn't. You but either I, I don't know. sped up or slowed down the inevitable. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think there was alcohol involved too. So, you know, mm. anyway. right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> yeah. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. this is one of those paths down the mathematically absurd probabilities that we could have met. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. True. Cheers. I'm all out. Oh, no, I still have a sip. Mm. I like to keep a lot of random things because I, for my Buddhist oh, books, yeah. I, I nice. sometimes you know, something will come up and I'll just have something within arm's reach. So I've got like all kinds of little characters. So when a new character is introduced, then I, I say, okay, this is that character. See, it's a horse or this is Upananda. He's been very popular lately. He's a very okay. grouch, yeah. gr grouchy monk and uh, yeah, fun stuff. So, so for us um, oh. on my desk, I keep my little baby Buddhas in between the first shell of a 45 that I shot. Uh, nice. Many, many, you know, because non-dual, right? <laughs> I've, got, I've got both of those in one with my karate Buddha. Nice, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That guy's ready to be one of the last avatars. <laughs> yeah. I love hey, it. are they, they're, they're making new avatars, aren't they? Cartoon or? I I I believe I've heard that. I don't know anything yeah. as far as whether that's at, you know like how that's happening. Yeah, 
but they tried to do an Indian. I mean, tried. They made a movie. They're probably gonna make a sequel. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I'm stalling while I try to remember. Um, but it's yeah, that same premise. There's another. No, I'm not not remembering any of it. But yeah, it, I think Avatar was the first one where they have people that have the power of an element, and then the the main character is able to work with more than one element you know and that that right whole, yeah that whole thing so there's a yeah. there's an indian one where they've tied in hindu mythology somehow and oh, uh, nice so yeah there's like the bearer of uh the power of hanuman and the bearer of the power of this and that and different elements and stuff like that so so it's like avatar and mahabharata combined <laughs> Something like that, yeah. But they've got a little okay. bit of a Luke Skywalker thing happening where they, they, the guy, the hero, is just your everyday guy. Nothing special about him. But then it turns out he's got the power of fire. And, uh, and then also the big bad that is like somewhere between the worlds that used to almost rule the world and wants to come back to rule the world again also has the power of fire. That's odd. It's his dad. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like so. The hero that was that was a zero that's now the hero is gonna in the second movie have to go up against his dad. So they're doing a Star Wars meets Avatar with Hindu gods. I'm like, all right, but the the effects are a little cheesy and the movies are a little unnecessarily long. I, I kind of I think I enjoyed it more than she did because like okay. I mean I think and I can understand that because when American things drive me nuts they really drive me nuts but they're they're just interesting to her like you know like when when we first met and she's like oh yeah I love American music country music is my favorite I'm like what <laughs> like you just think america you think you know new york texas whatever you know um <laughs> but yeah when things annoy her that about india then they they're much more annoying where for me i'm like yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like I like the part where they went up the hill, and she's like, "Don't talk to me about that movie. It'll <laughs> <laughs> I'll get too upset." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's one that uh, I don't know how long it's been on Netflix, but it's RRR. Oh yeah, um, of course. Yeah, that one. I, yeah, that's an amazing film. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I've seen oh, breakdowns man. and this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, so. And and you, I don't know much by way of movies from India about India or things like that. I can tell you, it's as over the top as I expected it to be. Mm, you know, mm, yeah. Um, and and in that way, it was just amazing. Like it was. It's oh. like that that sort of Greek epic uh, scale, but on a topic that's like kind of personal. Like I mean, like it's still resonates today like when they like when they when they deal with british colonialism it's like right it's been long enough that it's not too sensitive it's not like making right. a movie about pakistan or something you know and you know india fighting right. pakistan those exist but you know that's a little bit touchier people get a little more upset about it but it's uh right. it's also not so old that people have forgotten it and it's been interesting within our lifetimes to go to see to everything go, bringing it back to Nazis again, to go from uh, Indiana Jones 
to to like the to 2016 you know what i mean like to like like these are the cartoon bad guys that you obviously you know are obviously the bad guys you know and then uh, right. all the way to they're marching in charlottesville you know and proudly sporting their swastikas and it's like what the fuck happened you know and so yeah i don't know you know there's people who walk around with the british flag on their backpack or or uh, you know they, they just like British culture, Anglophiles, you know, and it's like, yeah, hmm. Hmm. it's been long enough, I guess, that it's sort of like a curious part of history. Like, oh yeah, looking at pictures, black and white pictures of Grandma when she was young, and oh, and there's the British soldier back there because, of course, it, that was the British period, you know. Yeah. But there isn't like a fuck those Britishes, you know. Yeah. Well, no, they built really nice railroads, though, you know. Right. Really. Okay. <laughs> I have nothing to say yeah. about that, you know. Right. Yeah. No, it I mean and I've had a few conversations with uh uh a couple of different people, you know, like I feel the there's there's a part of me that feels like uh they didn't lose World War Two, you know, like mm. between Project Paperclip and like what you just said with what we're seeing in South Carolina and just you know it, it I mean take Italy you know with mm. with their and 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 I don't mean to make this political mm. but no, you know, it's okay it's like, it was, 120 was incredibly political at times <laughs> <laughs> I mean that episode it got more yeah. political than I needed to <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's it's weird you know it it, it makes you realize that there is no such thing as time that things are cyclical that you know what has come before will come tomorrow and and what will come in the future has happened before you know it's, yeah. it's fascinating and sad and it breeds hope but it also breeds fear you know mm. um you know because again just I mean, I, I'm currently living in a state where just, uh, I think it's two years ago now, there was a militia that tried to kidnap our governor. You oh, know, it's like, yeah. what? Mm. Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, you know this, even having, you know, even living where you are now, like, it seems like we've been on the precipice for a civil war in the U.S. for at least five years. In my mind, mm. maybe I'm I'm over fear mongering about this, but uh, it seems that way to me, you know, you know, I think if if it weren't for the fact that people, you know, for the most part are under surveillance, you know, I mean, like uh, it, in in the 1860s, you could get everybody in a particular area together in one place and speak loudly uh you know without people in washington hearing you washington dc you know what i mean so like but but now you know yeah if you have people using signal you know or 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 using code or this kind of thing then you can get a small militia to like go do this or that or if the freaking president's involved you know then you can get people marching on the capitol but uh right you know jesus like <laughs> <laughs> that was really ridiculous but um yeah signs of the times though you know 
like but i mean like when the president i mean that's so weird though mm. It, it was like a it was like a society of creative anachronism in real life you know it was like like when when the guy in washington in lincoln's chair is telling you to take up your confederate flag and march on washington you're in washington you know it's like so <laughs> weird it's the weirdest yeah. thing or like get get that other branch of go of government that's meant to to limit my power like ah uh, ah uh, it's not what it is. It's not what it thinks it is. It's not what it purports to be. But yeah, like, yeah, I mean, the Civil War is kind of ongoing. It's it's like not taking the form of a war, I guess, is what it is. Just like every war that's happened since the Vietnam War. Um, right. There's been a lot of wars, and none of them were called a war. There's been a civil war. It's off and on. Sometimes it's hot. Sometimes it's cold um but uh it goes on it rages on yeah but i mean i don't think there's going to be like formal secession involved like the civil war it's a different right. kind of civil war it's like a you know yeah gosh and it's like how i mean i one of the more i think about it the more hopeless it is you know because like the the people on both sides you know, I mean, of course, I lean more toward one side than the other, but the people on both sides are so completely convinced that they are right and that the other side is completely wrong. And right. very rarely, I mean, but it's like, yeah, every once in a while, you can hear a story about someone who went, you know, right wing, and then, then they realized the error of their ways and they went lefty. And you can like listen to them talk and it, it makes you feel hopeful. But you can just right. as easily find evangel evangelists who became New Agers and went back again to being evangelists, or New Agers who became evangelists and went back to being New Agers. And then depending on your bias, you can feel hopeful or angry about it. You know, it's yeah. all there. Like all of it is there. Any anything, any story that anybody wants to hear is there, you know. So so it's it's getting ridiculous. It's like some kind of fractal nightmare. For sure. <laughs> um you know the the what's funny is is I don't I have no conception of if or when it was different. You know, you hear stories mm -hmm. You That's know, like, true. like even part of, of Trump's campaign, you know, back in 2016 was make America great again. And but that was Reagan's I, campaign. <laughs> he got that from Reagan. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and, and what's more, though, is it's like you're talking about this false notion of some time back when. Right. When there was yeah. still shitty things going on. Like, how far back do we go? Do we go before civil yeah. rights was enacted? Well, you know? yeah, I think that was the implication. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's go back to when we were the good guys winning all the wars. There was a red line, you know, and uh, right. all that. But, you know, it, and it comes back to it's a war of ideologies. You know, it's yeah. not a war of, of bullets and blood. You know, which is except you know, what it is. What you're saying? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and usually rubber bullets that. and tear gas these days, but yeah. yeah. Mm. You know, and and so one of the things that we have to remember as esotericists or you know whatever it is that we're we're doing is one. For me, 
I realize that I live in samsara. You know, mm-hmm. I know that this yeah. is a reality filled with suffering, filled mm-hmm. with, you know, animal eat animal, world mm-hmm. eat world. You know, and all we can do is try our best to understand what what the actual nature of reality is and mm-hmm. be compassionate to everything else around us to help them realize that same reality. You know, yeah. that's I th- I think that's that's the biggest hope, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Or so I keep that one myself. Yeah. Well, compassion is is definitely if you can yeah, I think that's that's one of the nice of the one of the appeals of Buddhism is transcendence and compassion both. And that's that that's that whole thing of like transcending and then ignoring the dual universe means, you know, ignoring the the sentient beings who are suffering in it, and uh, and and closing our heart to them, and then but then compassion without transcendence means being a pinball bouncing around between the black and white tile forever and ever and ever and under the ages of right. ages. So yeah, it's like it's like a one two. And there seems to be some subtle art that is hard to connect with of compassion without the pain that comes with love. The, uh, you know, or, I mean, in, in Dhammapada, the, at least the way it's translated into English, he straight up says, don't love, you know, but he says, have compassion. So it's like, okay. Okay, that's interesting. And then I have to wonder, like, what Greek word for love would have been the best translation of whatever Pali word that was, you know, and that kind of makes me want to become a Pali scholar or a Sanskrit scholar one day. I think I don't know. I don't know if there's time for me to do that, but uh, at least I can talk. There absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're all in a state of becoming, you know. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, a love without or compassion without love or compa- or love without pain. Well, I don't know, you know, like uh, the, you know, one thing that Gordon Gordon said that the Buddha said, Buddha didn't say this, but Gordon said that the Buddha said that if you want to be free from suffering, then then don't don't have desire. But if you want to keep the desire, then you have to embrace the suffering. <laughs> Gordon said the Buddha said that. As far as I'm concerned, the Buddha said that. But I have to put that qualifier out there. So it's love is supposed to have pain. And the more you love, the more pain you're opening yourself up to. But you have to be a masochist. You know, if you want to get the most pleasure, then you have to want the pain at the same time, you know, I mean, then, then yeah. it's getting more in, back into tantric strings tied around things. But not, you know. <laughs> well, and it's, you know, if, if we're going to translate love in Pali, we should translate compassion too, right? Because yeah. what does it mean to suffer with, you know? Mm. And so, so, I mean, I kind of agree with, with what Gordon was saying there. It's like, you got to yeah. embrace the suffering, you know? And like kind of Paul a little bit, you know, weep with those who weep, you know? I think the the Buddha wasn't saying weep with those who weep. He was saying, you know, uh, let the dead bury their dead and go in the forest and sit under a tree. I'm mixing metaphors, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
you know, um, one of the books that I think, uh, and I, I'm trying to remember, oh, oh, because you said mixing metaphors. One of the books that I think that is uh, least esoteric on, on my uh, library shelf right now, but is the most, one of the most fascinating as far as um, realizing non-duality or approaching it, I should say, not realizing, um, is a book by um, Douglas Hostrader, Gödel Usherbach, right? Oh, and... right. My mom had that book. I mean, I had that book. I think I gave it away before I came to India, but now I kind of want to get a copy of it because I've heard good things. And I love Godel. I mean, just the using math to prove that math cannot prove anything is like, right. Ah. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> or not, not, not anything to, you know. Right. I forget exactly what it was, but it was good. It was really nice. So um, yeah, Godel Escherbach. Right. So in there and in the other, another book that Hofstrader wrote, How to Make a Mind, I believe is the title of it. I might be wrong. Mm. Um, he's, he talks about the notion that everything is a metaphor, right? Mm. And I don't, read, I don't know if he means this the way I understand it. He probably doesn't. Mm. Um, but I understand that. When I heard that phrase, it in, enshrined the notion of as above, so below, better than anything else I've ever heard. You know, mm. when I, I realized that, you know, what I do for a living is a metaphor for something. Um, literally what I'm putting in my body as far as food, thought, um, movies, video games like Grand Theft Auto is a metaphor for something, you mm. know how I practice my devotion to the divine is a metaphor for something, you know, like these are all the only way to communicate reality to beings that live in a dual world is through metaphor, you know? Mm. And so when you mix metaphors, like you just did, it's an amazing <laughs> thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. because now you're making your metaphors holographic, you know, and right. like, oh, shit, that's <laughs> what? Yeah, so I, uh, we, I remember it must have been three, three or so years ago, Priel and I were talking at, and we got to that kind of level that everything means something underneath what it appears to be. And then, you know, I mean, I, I remember being in that state, I think it was 3 a.m. and like walking out of the bedroom through the hall into the bathroom, switching on the light closing the door, locking it, peeing. And like each thing I was doing, I'm like, but what does it really mean? <laughs> what does it mean to walk into the hall, turn right, go into the bathroom, close the door, lock it? <laughs> right. <Pee. Yeah. laughs> well, Very non-dual, water in, water yeah. out, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being and, a part of the stream. Take... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and, and if we take these non-dual teachers at their words, right, mm. then this thing that we call reality doesn't even really exist at some level, right? Mm. And so what does that metaphor even mean then? You know, like, what? <laughs> 
You know, like mm. how many times have you just sat there in practice and you, you, you come to again, it's like, what the fuck was that experience mm. or not experience, you know, like, and don't get me wrong. I don't mean to, 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 uh, go ahead and get oh, me no, wrong. It doesn't yeah. matter. Either um, way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like things seem solid, but it's my soft collection of electrons and stuff hitting another soft collection of electrons and stuff that gives my nerve endings something that gets interpreted as solid and ultimately in the future whatever that is if it exists it will become ash whatever that is and so it's like yeah it's not real as a metaphor in a certain right. sense like you know <laughs> i think <laughs> and and because i'm not a proselytizer you know like mm. i don't need to to have anybody join me on my my buddhist journey as it were but right um if they wanted to find this in the west you know because there are far too many people i've encountered now who when we start talking like this they're like ah now you're just talking woo woo you know it's like go ahead and read bertrand russell and alfred yeah. North whitehead you know at the same time and you can if you if you get their volumes of principia mathematica and yeah. they will blow your fucking mind they will explain mathematically and scientifically how reality is bullshit you know? people have such a dualistic mindset about what is and is not woo-woo <laughs> <laughs> and that's a metaphor yeah when i when i was 15 my first job was uh was sorting the woo-woo part of the used bookstore i think he called it uh it was this old romanian atheist uh you know uh guy that that ran the bookstore and he he called it all irrational phenomena <laughs> but it, but but personally he called it woo woo but that was the category and so i i divided it into wicca traditional witchcraft golden dawn thelema you know and, and like all, every different category and and uh, you know with that little label maker and then someone would come in and be like i want to do a spell to attract you know, a, a person. And then is he's like, talk to Edward and she'd come back. And, <laughs> and I'm like, is it a specific person? Yes. I'm like, okay. So there's two options. One is a little bit cheaper and you know, it's Cunningham, you know, it's like, or something equivalent to Cunningham. I'm like, okay, so there's a few good spells in here, but if you're really serious, you want this big heavy thick expensive dictionary and i'm like okay what this will tell you is like see if you look here and then look at this is an index and so what you want to do is this and this and this and you can combine these things and all of this and then so she bought the uh she bought the encyclopedia and i got a commission for it so that was nice, nice. <laughs> 15 years old <laughs> yeah for me the start was raymond buckland oh yeah yeah oh good times yeah the yeah the very first think... uh rituals that i did were with my friend isaac using that book the the witch's encyclopedia yeah see i didn't use that one for oh, me the okay. first one was the magic of chantomatics oh the little yellow book yeah. okay <laughs> mm. fun times yeah uh, and then those little i don't know if it was i don't think it was cunningham uh celtic magic norse magic and uh what was the third one? I forget, but uh, what is um, the third one? 
There were three. I think there were three, weren't there? It's too long ago, way too long ago. <laughs> See, but something external or seemingly external to you is going to jump out soon, and it's going to mm. make you remember what that title was. It's like, oh, right. shit, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is the DNA internal or external? Or neither or both. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> if, if my body is my car that I'm temporarily driving, then it's mm -hmm. in, in a way it's external, like an owner's manual or like a user's manual or the manual that they used at the factory to build my car. But <laughs> if if body and mind are not two and not one, then maybe it's internal? No, internal, external. <laughs> I think those prepositions don't really apply very well, except you have to communicate. So you, you have to choose right. your preposition, but then you always have to like ramble on about which preposition and how they don't matter. And then most people kind of tune out because they're like, oh, this guy's <laughs> too, too mercurial and I don't think he knows what he's saying. And it's like, well, my point is that you don't know what you're saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> that guy who sounds and acts like he knows what he's saying is probably full of shit. You know, it's like, but we have to give him respect because no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it comes from a long tradition of people who act like they know what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> the lineage goes oh. all the way back to the very first one to pretend he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. John Gold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I was trying to I find, there's too, many, there's too many people with that name. I was trying to find that. Um, one? Yeah, there was. I remember yeah. at one point I found it on in Wikipedia, but now there's too many, so got ah. found out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those stories, man. Good times. Uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm glad have it's to in get the moving past. here in a minute, bro. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, is there yeah. any 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 final thoughts? Anything you wanna wanna close with? Um. Yeah, I mean, you know, what I think the only thing the the you know is worth closing with is, you know, one that I couldn't be have I couldn't be happier with the paths that have brought me to here, you know, like uh, again, going back to that first podcast we had, you know, and, and mm. talking about, you know, our situation as it was prior to 2011, mm. you know, you can look at that and, and cry, cry a river about it, but it, <laughs> it brought me here, you know? Yeah, that's um, true. And so living lineage or not, yeah, it did something, you know, um, beyond that, you know, as an exercise, one of the things that, that I think would do anybody's magic good or their practice good is, you know, it's 
and again, I'm going to sound, it's going to sound like proselytizing and I don't care, but, you know, dedicate the merit to all sentient beings, you know, mm. remember that, that if, if, if there is a reality or some kind of reality that's non-dual, that means that all of these living things are a part of you. You're a network. You're not an island, you know, and that way work for the benefit of the entire network, not just for the self. Um, that's yeah. that's as evangelical or proselytizing I want as I yeah. want to get. You know? But but that's yeah. that's where my my mind rests. And then I I think for the for the people who go to the opposite extreme because that's that's also possible though less mm -hmm. common I think is uh, the the total rejection of uh, of what could be considered selfish. Mm -hmm. you, you also need to be not only fit and fed and pretty well comfortable in your dwelling place in order to be a good uh, helper to others, you know, generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, obviously right. you, can be a, a, you can be a wandering monk. I mean, with it, whatever's your path within your comfort zone, but also uh, to, to give yourself space to take a break, to meditate, um, and uh you know turn off the phone and uh and and if somebody's if somebody's trying to make you feel guilty for not responding right away maybe have a little talk with them about how they shouldn't do that um you know i mean like to establishing boundaries is good sometimes people take it too far um helping well, others and, and being compassionate is good sometimes people take it too far it's always like you know if you give someone to take here take this light and go with it you can always take it too far you know right whatever it is and it, and the thing is you know like there's going to be somebody i'm sure listening to this who rejects all of these ideas we're talking about loves the, the ideology yeah yeah Sure, for sure. Who loves the yeah. ideologies of, say, an EA co-wedding and wants to become a living God, whatever that mm. might mean to you. you know, mm. In that case, be a better God than what you're fighting against. You know, mm. if, if you're doing this be, as some reaction to, you know, what you see as guru worship or devotion or, you know, misguided Christianity or extreme mm. Islam, then be a better God. You know, mm. sure, mm. become a living God, but be a better one. You know, yeah. why not be a, a much better God than, than I am, you know, be, I will be, you know? Yeah. Or like, yeah, Jesus is the way and clearly you and I are Satanists and kind of missing the point <laughs> of like the message of the right. great teacher of the yeah. Yeshua that, about compassion and loving those <laughs> who the highfalutin like self self-proclaimed righteous people look down upon and spit upon because they're tax collectors or prostitutes or you know members of a cult or new agers or what what whatever the equivalent is you know transgender whatever whatever the thing is that today right. the people who proclaim themselves righteous have decided to look down upon and, and think is anti-jesus i guess it used to be anti you know pharisee but you know they've turned jesus into the pharisees somehow and that's that's yeah. one of the most ridiculous ironic things that that uh, would be funny if it were not so sad. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I love anyway. it.
Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let's do this again. Let's uh, let these ideas germinate, and and we'll we'll check back in after some time and see see if we've uh, come up with anything else. <laughs> For sure. I can't wait. I look forward to it, brother. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Always good to talk. I always love talking. Yeah, I love talking to yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, brother. All right. LVX, namaste. Oh, my God. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Later, bro. Later. 120. Thank you very much, brother, for being my guest on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today. Special thanks to Susumu Ueda and his father and the other monks at Jofukuin on Mount Koyasan for the music you're hearing right now, which is actually the same track that uh, was at the very beginning of the episode, though it sounds substantially different, doesn't it? Special thanks to Camille and Kennerly for the House of the Dragon theme going into and out of the interview itself. And special thanks to you, the Esoteric Nerd, listening to this podcast and possibly watching it as well. Um, today, I'm going to close with something a little special. You might be somewhat familiar with it already. Perhaps, perhaps not, perhaps not. Um, it is the meditation that my dad taught me. John Dan Reed, same, from Transformations. He taught me this meditation when I was very young. He used to perform it when I was very young. And uh, that's where he would, you know, be inside chanting Aum. And then if there was like some noise, a weed whacker, lawnmower, that kind of thing, he'd say, God damn it. And uh, it would distract his meditation. So I determined when I was like three or four years old that his word might be Aum, but my word is Chakung. And I would chant Chakung whenever the lawnmower came. And so it wasn't, it wasn't a hindrance. Nay, it was, uh, it was of assistance to whatever it was that I was doing that surely was not meditation. But still, I consider that a uh, little pearl of wisdom delivered unto grown me from small me so that whenever I am trying to find peace and serenity and there's a power saw or some other noise interference, I always think chikung and it makes me smile. But anyway, after a couple more years, I was able to sit down and learn the meditation that my dad taught me. And uh, so now I will be performing it for you. So I'm just going to be moving through this directly without really explaining what I'm doing. However, if you turn the dial back to episode 92 and a half, uh, the first part of that uh, recorded class, which was the last class I taught at my old house in Los Angeles, uh, minus the red Tara part, this practice is uh, explained in, uh, in that part. It is also pretty well explained in, on page, starting on page 126 of... E
to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below. We send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. feel free to check out our sister podcast, Edward Reeves Buddhist Books Podcast. Until next time.